Hey folks, welcome to All in a Day's Work, a podcast about work. I'm your host, Dean Craig. You're about to hear a conversation I got to have with someone who loves their job. Those are brakes screaming because I'm shifting it up on you a little bit. You're not going to hear a conversation I have with somebody who loves their job. You're going to hear from somebody who loves their job, me. I'm going to bring you something a little bit different, uh, but I still think there's some pretty good stuff in here. So sit back and relax while I get to work. Hey folks, welcome to the final episode of 2023. As I was uh, preparing um, an interview that I had with somebody to uh, to be the final episode of the year, I got to thinking that this time of year is just, for me anyway, good time of, of reflection and sharing stories. And I, I think that rather than give you an interview, um, we'll resume those next week. But right now, I, I just feel like I want to reflect over the past year of doing these podcasts and share some stories with you. I think that sometimes stories are the best way to convey messages. So thinking back over the last year, I've, I've really had some great, great interviews, some great conversations, great discussions with people on this podcast and not on the podcast. But those on the podcast, uh, a few really stand out. And, and I, one of the things that, not just the, of the interviews, but one of the things that comes to mind is uh, the diversity in the people that I've had the pleasure to interview this year, this past year. Everything from doctors, teachers, no attorneys, that's okay. Uh, equipment operators, truck drivers, musicians, magicians. Um, some of those you're going to get to hear in the upcoming year because I haven't fully processed them yet. I haven't uh, produced them yet. But every single interview that I've conducted, I've taken something away from. I've learned something from it. And I'm extremely happy and proud of that. And sometimes uh, some of these interviews, people share stories with me and even beyond the interviews, just in public, I don't know what it is. People like to share stories with me, and I, I love that. I'm an absorber of stories. I love it. I'm not all that great of a storyteller, but I'm going to do my best to revisit a couple of these stories and share them with you because I think they're really good stories that are quite impactful. Might even make your jaw drop a little bit. They did mine. So the first story I want to share with you uh, is one I learned recently. A friend of mine shared with me, and, and when you hear her interview, I'm sure she's going to do a much better job of sharing this story than I am going to, but I'm going to do my best. So I recently heard the story of her father, who was born in 1935, right in the midst of the, of the Great Depression, one of 13 kids, big family in the Ozark Mountains. And during that time in our country's history, education wasn't necessarily um, thought of as a high priority. And, and that's particularly true in this, this particular family, as I understand it. The, uh, the girls were allowed to go to school until the eighth grade, and the boys only until the fourth grade. After that, they were expected to go to work and earn money to help support the family. What a concept today, right? I mean, think about, think about that today in today's world in the United States of America. I don't, there may be pockets of society where that happens. I'm personally not aware of any, but that doesn't mean it doesn't exist. I think by and large, people have, have placed a higher priority 
on education than they did in those days. And I think that's fantastic. Because of that, well, I don't know if it's because of that, but alongside of that, I'll say, has been a, 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 something that gives me a little bit of, of heartache. And that is that our, our notion, oftentimes I'll say, not, not exclusively, but oftentimes our notion of work has taken a back seat. And while I really value education, um, I also value work. If you're a regular listener to this podcast, you probably recognize that I value work a lot along with education. I don't believe you can have one very successfully without the other. I don't believe you can have a great career without some level of education. I'm not necessarily talking a, a university degree, but you got to learn along the way, right? And you've got to have a baseline of education to get there. So back to the story. In this family, this person's father at eight years old was about at the age when he was no longer going to be able to go to school. And he went to his parents and lobbied is the word that, that she used um, I don't, I wasn't there, obviously. I don't know the case, but eventually he convinced his parents to let him go stay somewhere else, some other family, so that he could finish his education, at least to a level. I don't know what level he was shooting for, high school, maybe, maybe even college. I don't know. But I do know that they reluctantly allowed it. And this boy at eight years old packed up his worldly belongings, which fit in a small bag and walked away from his family, eight years old, because he wanted to continue his education. I, I don't know, speaking for myself, I don't know that if eight years old, I would have had the wherewithal to have the desire to finish an education or the knowledge of how to go about doing it. Maybe I would have, I don't know. But this young boy took off and started knocking on doors, walked down this country road, knocking on doors. Could I stay with you? Could I exchange room and board for work so that I could go to school? No, I don't have any work for you. Next house. Could I come and stay with you and work for you and go to school? No, I don't have any work for you. I don't know how long this went on, but eventually he found a family that said, sure, we'll take you in. And he, they took him in. The deal was that he had room and board and they would pay him a dollar a week. And that dollar a week he sent to his family, which I think was phenomenal on every level. So he finished his education. Again, I don't know the level that he, that he went to, but he developed a career along his young adult life. And ultimately, <laughs> this is pretty astonishing to me. This kid who left home at eight years old went on to become an auctioneer owned an antique dealership, was an award-winning square dancer, also a firefighter and a property manager. Think about that. Of all of those professions, those careers that I just mentioned, auctioneer, antique dealer, square dancer, firefighter, and property manager, all but one of those, I'm guessing, and even the one, square dancer, Required some education, but you have to learn how to square dance, right? That's education. Learning is education. The rest of them likely had some on-the-job work, learning, education, as well as possibly some classroom education. I don't know, but I'm guessing that's the case. That, to me, is incredibly impressive 
coming out of a family of 13 kids, and he's the only boy that learned to read and write, as I understand it. Wow. That's kind of a big deal. I personally can't imagine that. I can't imagine leaving home at eight years old. I, I can't imagine, fully imagine, making my way in the world at such a young age and having such a strong desire to, to complete something, to accomplish something. But this, this, this kid had that drive. And I, I'm, I'm so thankful that she shared that story with me because I think it was, was pretty phenomenal. Another story I collected along the way was uh, of a, a young man whose parents were both gone at a young age. His um, father was gone at, I think, six or seven years old, um, if I remember correctly. And his mother passed away when he was, I think, eight or maybe nine. So in a fairly short period of time, he lost both of his parents. He stayed in the area and he was born in, in eastern Oregon raised in East Oregon on a homestead. Somewhere during that time, I think that he was 11 years old. He was swimming in a log pond uh, with his brother, his older brother, and uh, another kid, a couple of other kids. And one of the other kids was struggling in the water. And um, this young man's brother, who was two years older than him, dove in to save this little boy and came up under a log knocked himself unconscious and drowned. And the boy in the story pulled his brother's dead body out of the water at 11 or 12 years old. Man, that's that's a big deal. That's heavy. He uh, moved in with his sister, older sister. Remember, both of his parents were gone. His older brother was gone. He had an older sister and, a, and I believe uh, two half-sisters, I believe is what he told me. And so he moved in with his, his older sister and her family, her husband, her, her son, his cousin, and lived with them for a couple of years. It was tough, um, you know, to, to come into a family that, you know, they're all family, but they're growing their own family. And, and he never felt comfortable there. So at 14 years old, he went to Portland, Oregon, and somehow uh, convinced the captain of a Norwegian fishing vessel to let him joined them. And he jumped on that ship and fished his way across the country, across the ocean rather. And uh, a few months later, um, that was in the spring. I think I believe that was in the spring of 1941 or two. He ended up in China before the summer was over. Turned 15 during that summer. Ended up in China with a little bit of money, not a lot. They'd earned while fishing on this, on this boat, big boat, and um, not knowing the language, not knowing a soul, came across some military guys. Um, at that time, we were military, militarily friendly with China, and he uh, found the local highest-ranking officer and convinced that officer to let him join. So 15 years old, he did, nobody had ID back then to speak of. Um, he had no ID on him. He had a piece of paper with uh, his name, social security number, some other things written on it. And that was the closest thing to ID he had, as, I, as, he, told, as he told me. He uh, joined, this, uh, joined this division of the Army called the Army Air and ultimately became a paratrooper, although not later. He finished out World War II with them and then was in Korea and became a paratrooper in Korea where he would 
jump out of airplanes um, behind enemy lines and set up radio communication at 15 or 16 by the time. I don't know exactly. Probably 16, maybe even 17 years old. Not yet what we consider an adult, but what an adult thing he was doing. I think that the the adult part of that is is probably the important thing. Was it survival? Sure. That was survival for him. But it was also work for both of these two men that I just told stories about. It was about work. And he both of them worked their entire lives from a very young age. The second story, the one about the the 14-year-old who jumped the, onto the Norwegian fishing vessel and ended up in China and joined the army, worked all of his life. Um, after Korea, he came home to the U.S. and uh, very little formal education. He was still in the, in the uh, army, air, and he ended up getting his GED through through the military. Um, he became one of the smartest people I ever met. He absolutely devoured opportunities to learn. He read incessantly. I mean, the guy read everything he could read and, and didn't just believe everything he read, but he would find something that countered it and processed both sides of it and determined where reality lived. And in many cases, you know, mo- most everything that's written is written from one perspective for the most part. Of course, there are perceptions or exceptions, but he would find something counter and determine where the truth lied. With I, th- I think that's phenomenally intelligent. He um, became a truck driver. Actually, he became a bus driver. Excuse me. Yeah, he came, became a bus driver. Met um, met a woman, fell in love with her, married her, had three kids, and became a truck driver in the meantime. And drove truck for most of all of his career. He finally retired the second time <laughs> at 70 years old. And it was just getting more difficult to climb into the truck by then. He still loved doing it. He took the profession of truck driving extremely seriously. It was his profession. It was his career. But he never stopped learning the entire time. That was my father. That was my dad. And he through his life, living his life, didn't, well, yeah, he taught me so much. I, I can't even, you know, I, I mean, I share stories on the podcast of things that my dad taught me and I, they just come to my mind at times. I, I, I should have it many times written them down and maybe I should start writing them down. The stories were phenomenal. He taught me about work. He taught me about life and about work and about commitment and dedication. And I remember, <laughs> I remember one time, I was young and uh, I needed a job. I wanted a job, a summer job. And I said, Dad, where should I go to work this summer? He goes, it's not my decision. I looked at him kind of funny, like, what do you mean? I, I guess I was just looking for guidance, Pops. He goes, why don't you go talk to Harold? So I didn't drive. I wasn't old enough to drive yet. I think I was 15, uh, maybe 14. Um, so I asked my mom. It was, uh, I believe, a spring break of my eighth grade year, maybe fresh, no, eighth grade year. And I, I said, Mom, can you take me to, to Harold so I can see if I can work this summer? And she did. I had already worked there a little bit with her. She, My mom worked at Kramer Farms. And uh, I got to 
sort broccoli roots <laughs> that spring. That's just that sounds so funny. Sort broccoli roots. You literally pull seedling little broccoli plants out of the ground. If the roots are straight, they go into one tray, which is going to go be planted in the field. And if they're crooked or J-rooted, as we call them, they would go in a different tray. And those would be the ones that would go to home gardens. And, and it was just, you know, who, knew, who knows about that until you do it? I learned something that day. And it, I think I was 10 or 11 years old out with my mom. And we got paid by the flat. So as you pulled these roots out and you filled them up, the, the straight versus the J roots, each flat, you got a certain amount of money. I don't remember what that was. Crawling around on the ground. I loved it. It was great. I got to play in the dirt and make some money. It was pretty cool. We also had an apple orchard, which I'm not going to get into today. Um, but I worked on that apple orchard from sixth grade on, being the oldest oldest child, oldest son and oldest child. Um, it was my responsibility because dad was a truck driver. He was gone most of the time. So everything was my responsibility. And we'll talk about that another time. But I got to work at Harold Dan Kramer's. And I, I love that my dad didn't hold my hand through it. Mom drove me there. I went in and I applied for the job myself because dad guided me on how to do that. And I got the job. And I got to work on Harold's farm, Harold and Ann Kramer's farm for a number of summers. And I couldn't wait to get on the pipe crew. But that's a story for another day as well. There's another story I want to share with you about a young couple, high school age, teenagers, who met and kind of liked each other and grew to the point where they were pretty well inseparable. At the spring of their uh, junior and sophomore years in high school, they found out they were pregnant. Yeah, juniors and sophomore in high school. They, uh, well, kind of freaked out, as you would imagine. And they decided that they were going to raise this child together as babies, as children. So these two children, in November of the following following. Uh, in the fall, November, this baby was born, little boy. And they dropped out of high school and went to work. Well, the mother um, was raising a baby. She didn't, she didn't work outside of the home. They both lived with their own parents and got to visit with each other <laughs> on occasion, not as often as they would have liked, but you know, nearly daily. And eight months later, they, they wed. They got married. But the the story that I think is important, or the portion of this story that I think is important, is that they worked very hard to do two things, to support that child and each other, and to prove everybody wrong. Virtually everybody told them they'd never make it. They were too young. They were children raising children. And those people weren't wrong. They were children raising children. But they decided they were going to make it. And they worked very hard, both with each other, on each other, on themselves. The dad uh, worked full-time job, usually two jobs, and sometimes even three, to raise his child and pay for him. The first job he had was at Kentucky Fried Chicken in Woodburn. It was a pretty surprising realization when the baby was born, and with the baby came a bill. <laughs> I mean, I think most people don't realize that 
you got to pay for everything in this life one way or another, right? So this hospital bill came and he said, ooh, how am I going to pay for this? I got to go to work. So he went to work at Kentucky Fried Chicken, worked there for a while, and then added the gas station right across the street, worked both jobs for a good number, good while, until he got um, a full-time job at a, at a tire shop in Salem. And the, and the family moved to Salem. That couple raised five kids together who were all very successful, very highly contributing adults. What's the story or the moral, I think, or the, 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 what's the important element of all three of these stories I've shared with you today? Work. They all worked. And from what I can tell, speaking about the first two, they had a great attitude towards work. I can definitely tell you that the third story, they had a good attitude towards work. I know that person really well. That person is me. I learned from my dad that we're going to spend more waking hours at work than we are at home with our families. Why not have a good attitude towards it? Sure, you're going to have rough days. Sure, people are going to tick you off at times. Sure, there's going to be parts of the job you may not enjoy doing. And all of those things are true. I've experienced every single one of those things personally. But he also taught me when it's really something you don't like doing or don't want to do, do it first. Do it fast. Do it well and move on to something you enjoy doing more. While you're doing it, force yourself to smile. Just put a smile on your face. It'll help. And I thought, now nah, you're loony, Dad. That's not true. Well. Come to find out it is. One of the things that I really disliked doing at Kentucky Fried Chicken when I first started there was cleaning out the walk-in cooler and freezer. It was two, one cooler, one freezer. And these were probably, oh, I would say six feet wide, eight or 10 feet long. And they had to be mopped out twice a week. And I hated it for whatever reason. You had to lug everything out. You know, you had to move all the frozen goods into the cool, in the cooler and then mop it all out. Once it's dry, you have to dry it, mop it and dry it because it's freezing in there. Then you can put the frozen goods back. Same with the, uh, the cooler. You put everything in the, in the freezer for just long enough to clean everything up and dry it out, and then you put it back. And I just, for whatever reason, I did not like it. And I remember complaining to my dad about it, and he told me, just do it, do it fast, do it well, and smile while you're doing it. And I thought, you're loony. That's not going to work. Well, turns out he was right. It did work. I made a conscious decision to smile, to do it fast, and do it well. And it helped tremendously. After a couple of weeks, it no longer bothered me to have to do that. I actually kind of got to where I enjoyed it because I was really good at it. And when we are good at something, we tend to enjoy it better. The more we do something, the better we get at it get at doing it, right? I mean, simple logic, simple, basic things make a world of difference. So I just shared those stories with you, hopefully to give you a, a, something to think about, something to chew on, something to process, how it compares to your own life. We've all had ups and downs. We've all had challenges in our lives. How can you make your next challenge better? Attack it head on. This is my advice. 
attack it head on, put a smile on your face, do it fast and do it well. I think it'll help. If you don't like going to work, put a smile on your face when you leave your house and a smile on your face when you arrive at work. So let everybody see it. Do that for 30 days consistently. You'll dislike your job less. I think work is a good thing. I think that work helps us strengthen our own relationship with people. I think that work gives us a sense of pride. When we look back at a job we just completed, whatever it is, it doesn't matter what your job is. When you look back at the end of a day, a week, a month, or a project, and you review what you've just accomplished, take pride in it. Smile about it. Share a little bit with others. Don't brag, but share. Share with others that you did that. And be happy. Be proud. As we end 2023, that's the message I have for you. Put a smile on your face. Do the jobs you don't like doing quickly. Do them well. And move past. You put that smile on your face. You do them quick. You do them well. Each time you do it, it'll get a little bit better. I firmly believe that. So happy new year, everybody. I hope that 2024 is a fantastic year for you. Take good care. You've been listening to All in a Day's Work, the podcast about work. This episode was brought to you by Willamette Workforce Partnership, the Workforce Investment Board for Lynn, Marion, Polk, and Yamhill Counties in the Mid-Willamette Valley of Oregon.